Oh, hello everybody. Welcome to America's number one chatcast, Call Me Al. I'm just doing a little bit of reading right now. Uh, oh, check it out. Jay Dwyer, Esoteric Hollywood. Just uh, almost finished with the book. And I think we have with us here today one of the main contributors to this book. His name is Jay Dwyer. What's up, dude? How are you doing? What's up, man? It's Dyer, not Dwyer. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, we did that misspelling last night. I was at work, and I fucking emailed Rob, the voice of reason, and then I see Dwyer today. I'm like, oh, fuck. I freaked out, and then we had to delete the link and uh, make it Jay Dyer. Um, anyways, welcome to America's I'm, number one check. I'm also the only contributor. To this this is true. A major and only contributor to a fucking great book. Dude, I got to be honest. I fucking love this book. I liked it a lot. You know, you, you know, you got a good book when somebody reads it in two to three nights. That's kind of the zone for a good book. If it's a book you like, it's got to be finished within two to three days, or you didn't like it that much. I'm almost finished with this one. I'm on page 306, got about 90 pages left, but I'm enjoying the absolute fuck out of it because the way I describe this book, it's basically all that secret shit you want to know about Hollywood decoded. Uh, what you do here is you basically bridge the gap between Hollywood, the movies we know and love, Eyes Wide Shut, E.T., um, you know, there's a little Star Wars analysis in here, uh, the movies we know and love, and the connection between them, and or we might not necessarily love these movies, but the connection between the movies and the intelligence agencies, and what's being programmed for some pretty nefarious goals consisting of a technocratic world government uh, enhanced with AI and all these different things. Now, can you just start with telling, telling us um, a little bit of the, about the process that went into writing this book? Yeah, so basically it was just a lot of blogging for a long time, and it coincided with what I was studying in grad school, which my master's thesis was on Ian Fleming and James Bond, <clears throat> and how Ian Fleming as a spy used James Bond for kind of propaganda purposes, especially during the Cold War. So that led me into this whole question that a lot of people still aren't aware of, which is the idea that there's a lot of coordination between the Pentagon the 16 known intelligence agencies in Hollywood. And it's it's not new. It's gone on for a long time. And so I, I basically just stumbled down this really fascinating rabbit hole that, that I felt like eventually could be a book. Uh, and after, I don't know, several years of blogging, I finally got hit up by a publisher. And uh, they were like, hey, this, this needs to be a book. And I was like, yeah, I got a manuscript, which actually didn't have a manuscript. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, I got a manuscript, sure. So I just smushed all these essays together uh, and it turned out I think fairly decent for my freshman book outing um, and then reached got reached out to by some pretty big big name people Sean Stone got to be in a Sean Stone Oliver Stone production about Hollywood and the Pentagon so the book just kind of I don't know how to describe it just fell into place after blogging that is pretty damn cool because I enjoyed it quite a bit the book is called esoteric Hollywood sex cults and symbols in film now, one thing I, I got out of the book was the fact that these movie producers, they just can't help themselves with the, the Masonic symbolism with the mm -hmm. overall themes that we're not necessarily aware of, but our subconscious is aware of. Yeah. And then we intake it passingly and we're kind of preconditioned 
for things to come in the future is another main point I got from this book. Um, speaking of that, what, what do you think was the favorite, your favorite movie you analyzed um, in this book? And you have a website called jaysanalysis.com. Tell me more about that. Cause I'm super yeah. intrigued by it. Cause it's fucking interesting, dude. Like you basically yeah. uh, you're an expert on a lot of things that are completely in, like fascinating to me, whether it's religion, whether it's the occult, whether it's film, whether it's secret societies, you covered a lot in this book. You know, yeah, that's what I think the the appeal of it was that it's not Siskel and Ebert; it's Siskel and Ebert 2.0 on acid times 10 to the 33rd power, because I bring in not just symbolism and film analysis, but I also bring in things like geopolitics and backdoor deals, the mafia, uh, the mob in Hollywood. That's going to be a, a big part of Esoteric Hollywood too, which is basically complete now. Uh, but but yeah, so I just decided that. I could do a new spin on how to do movie reviews and make them a lot more interesting than just, you know, some fat dude sitting in his, in his, uh, well, I think Ebert was in the hospital towards the end of his day is doing his movie reviews, but just some fat guy telling you whether movie's good or not. It's boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I made the movie reviews interesting again. Uh, and they're more like essays and they do tie in things like conspiracies. And you're absolutely right to, I think, hit on the point that, uh, symbols speak to the subconscious and that's something that you learn in philosophy and then if you study something like advertising and then that sort of transitions over into film because film is all about the manipulation of symbols um, so I have a lot of talks and I have a lot of essays that I've done about people like Edward Bernays and propaganda and how propaganda works so ironically the website is i don't know there's like 1300 posts at the website um hundreds and hundreds of essays but there's only about 150 or 200 film essays so the majority of what's there is philosophy it's geopolitics it's it's espionage it's all kinds of stuff literary analysis but it just so happened that the film analysis is what kind of clicked with the most people i personally i tuned out of hollywood i've been to the movie theaters twice in the last like eight years and i went with the same girl because she made me you know what i mean i'm not into the movie theaters and necessarily hollywood uh movies anymore because once you kind of make the click that most of this does fit within the cultural marxist paradigm i'm out (laughs) you know what i mean and i know the uh yeah i'm out that's basically it once i know it's all cultural marxism i'm out and i'm just not interested like i used to love the old star wars movies completely boycotted the disney uh, Star Wars movies boycotted. See it, don't care, not interested. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's like space justice warriors is really all it is now. It's like social justice warriors in space, and uh, that's absolutely by design. Um, what I did in the book was kind of focus on older, maybe more uh, golden era type films, and then and then classics, I guess you could say, of of, of Hollywood. So it's not. It's not the most recent Netflix stuff. You know what I mean? I, I don't really care about that stuff. I'm more interested in things that I grew up with or things that I thought were interesting. Um, I do like Kubrick films, even though there's a tends to be degeneracy there. But I think Kubrick also reveals a lot. So there's a there's a pro and a con to doing analysis of Kubrick films. Um, that's about the first 80 pages of the book. Um, there, you know, there's some other neat guys, too. So I, if I had to pick a favorite, it would probably be either Twin Peaks or Eyes Wide Shut, just because they're too recent fairly recent presentations that uh, do reveal quite a bit about conspiracy, about connections to powerful 
interests that are manipulating things, the deep state, et cetera, Hollywood, all of that's revealed in those two storylines. And um, that's also my two, we did a TV show based on the book too, which was um, about, I think, tw 19 episodes that we filmed. And the two, my two favorite episodes are those as well, uh, which are also worth checking out. So, you know, I, it, it's, it's a funny thing because I have a section in the book about the Frankfurt School, which is the guys behind cultural Marxism. So I'm totally with you on that point. Uh, you know, it's discussed in actually more than one section in the book. Uh, and I do a lot of lectures on the Frankfurt School guys because I study them quite a bit in graduate and undergrad. Um, so, yeah, they're all about subversion. Uh, it's just that what, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that Bertrand Russell, who's a big time Western establishment guy, um, and the OSS and the CIA later on, they brought the Frankfurt School people over. And this is, this is mainline news, mainline history. It's not because you can go to Foreign Policy Magazine and read about the OSS bringing the Frankfurt School Marxists to the U.S. to subvert the culture. So I see it as there is cultural Marxism, but it's it's kind of in the midst of like a larger picture of uh, like global capitalism because global mono cap, uh, uh, monopolistic capitalism is what is promoting that culture. Uh, and we see that all over the world. That's why the big banks, that's why these big corporations are actually funding all the same degenerate social policies at the same time. And I see Hollywood is really the most powerful propaganda vehicle there is. Now, part of me, when Harvey Weinstein got busted for his uh, disgusting acts, part of me believed that potentially Chinese, in, like the reason why it happened then, why he got busted then, I always ask myself, why now? You know, if he was doing this kind of disgusting activities for a while, why did he get busted now? Is it potential that there's a Chinese influence moving into Hollywood instead of the current tribe uh, or current cabal uh, controlling the film industries now. Is there some truth to that? Yes, Harvey Weinstein <laughs> definitely sold off all of his shares to the China man. Um, <laughs> I have a video where I do like a Harvey Weinstein. Anyway, yeah. that is true. Yeah, in fact, uh, I think maybe not all, but maybe half of the, the big studios have been bought up uh, by Chinese interests. And that's why we saw certain uh, propaganda wars in relation to films in the last several years. Like they had to change Red Dawn, that, that kind of crappy remake of Red Dawn. They had to alter that to being North Korea uh, and not China because of, you know, the Chinese interests that have been you know slowly moving into Hollywood. So that's a big part of it now. I think really uh it's served its purpose you know it, it's it's basically normalized all the most crazy degenerate stuff now so it it can be sold off it served its purpose um but but yeah that's very real it's a very real aspect to what's going on um i do cover that kind of at the beginning of, the, of this book when i talk about what films like uh the ninth gate uh the roman, roman Polanski film and then later on eyes wide shut they're picturing this kind of elite wealthy banking dynasties that are also connected to the occult and different cults and there's a long history of intelligence agencies utilizing cults and that's a pretty significant part of the book as well so it all ties in and and that's that's what i argue i argue from the very beginning that hollywood is basically just a kind of a big cult and it, it's the same way with liberalism and the democratic party it's not, everybody's like, I can't believe how illogical they are. Yeah, it's not logical because they're in a cult, dude. 
Yeah, and the weird thing about it, especially um, with the eyes wide shut part, what's with the elites in these uh, rituals? What's with their fascination um, with weird shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I remember part you said in the book, part of the eyes wide shot was actually shot in a Rothschild mansion. What is with them in these weird satanic rituals? Like when, uh, you know, when Alex Jones snuck into Bohemian Grove and saw what they were doing, it's these strange men in robes. Uh, you know, just doing weird things. What's up with that? I think multiple layers. So I think some people, even at, you know, the top, top level, they, they take occultism very serious. They take the idea of large scale ritual sacrifice through war, which is mentioned by a lot of big name people, uh, Bertrand Russell, Arthur Kessler, big famous globalist planners of the, la of the last century. They mentioned these ideas. They mentioned the possibility of bringing back uh, eating human meat, uh, recycling humans. Uh, Richard Dawkins just said this like two weeks ago. I think we need, of course, it's time to remove our taboos about eating human meat. I mean, the dude is just like, you know, seething with just demonic energy. I can't stand Richard Dawkins. But I think he betrays something more than just atheism. And, and so I think that at the upper level, you see not just atheists. There are atheists, definitely. But you also see people who, who take stuff uh, very seriously. And that's why we've seen a lot of occult crimes. We've seen occult crimes in Hollywood. Uh, the Black Dahlia case is a very famous example. I cover in the book towards the end the, the, the Black Dahlia ritual, uh, ritual murder uh, and the uh, Brian De Palma film version of it. And it's a very similar story to Eyes Wide Shut as well. So I think when you have a lot of money uh, and a lot of power, you, on the one hand, your senses are blunted to what normal people want, you know, just sex and, and money. You want, you've got all that, you, so you want something more and more degenerate, more and more degrading. There's also an aspect of, uh, I would say, spiritual uh, dark forces involved in this kind of stuff, um, especially what we've seen in the last few. I think, you know, when I was talking about this stuff like 10 years ago, it seemed very impossible. But the more that we see what comes out, you know, in Hollywood with uh, Saville and the UK and, and the Weinstein stuff, I mean, it's more and more believable nowadays that... Right this kind of stuff could be real. So, so I think it's both those things. And there's also another important layer that a lot of people aren't aware of. And we saw this with like the Epstein little St. James stuff was blackmail. Uh, when you are in the upper rungs, they want dirt on you so that you go along. And what's the best way to get dirt on people other than to, um, you know, get them on film involved in something. We've actually seen many cases where whorehouses uh, uh, places in Vegas, they have been set up for the very purpose of blackmailing the elites. And, and Hollywood is no different. Wow. That is pretty dark. You know what I mean? Like, you strike me as a religious man just because you've been dis, uh, studying so much darkness that you've recently had debates with Fuentes, you debated Rich Spencer, you recently had a talk with Styx. What is your current religious stance, Jay Dwyer? Dyer. Jay Dyer, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I represent uh, Orthodox Christianity, which is a little different from Roman Catholicism and a little different from Protestantism. So maybe in a sense, aspects of both uh, involved in Orthodoxy, um, but we basically adhere to the way that the church viewed things for the first thousand years. So before the split between the East and the West in about 1054 AD, you had basically uh, for simplicity's sake, a unified church. Um, so orthodoxy believes that we hold to that that continuity of the first thousand years. And we see Roman Catholicism in the West and Protestantism as kind of 
dialectical twins that sort of that necessitate one another you know with with a radical individualism of protestantism and then you have the radical supremacy of this absurd notion uh, uh, we would say of papal infallibility especially given pope francis i mean we see that as just a long line of degeneration not just with vatican ii or with freemasonry over the last two or three hundred years but actually going back much much earlier so so i, I represent that view of, of christianity which is present in the West, um, but obviously more present in the Middle East, in Eurasia, in Russia, you know, Baltic areas. Um, but, you know, we have a, a sizable, multiple millions of people in, in uh, North America that are, uh, that are Orthodox. So that's where I come from. And, and that's the, the method of debate that I engage in is a very serious philosophical critique of my grad work was uh, analytical philosophy. So I take all that very serious. Um, most of the time I'm joking around, but that kind of stuff I do take serious. So yeah, when I when I debated JF, you know, it was a pretty hardcore heated debate, uh, and I'll pretty much debate anybody. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not I'm not afraid of it. Um, I think I'm like five and zero now. So whoever wants to can bring it on. But but that's what I represent. That's pretty rad. Where are you from? South. Outside Nashville. Yep. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Uh, we like that. We hosted one blood sport. It was between sticks and Fuentes. I got, Oh, I watched it. I watched it. No way. That's awesome, dude. We got a viewer. That's unbelievable. Uh, cause we went down 39,000 views after <laughs> episode 11 had about 50,000 views. The next episode had about 400, but well, it's just kind of cool. Cause that's never been done in podcast history or Chadcast <laughs> history to go down 39,000 views only here, but I got sticks book right here. I'm about to crack into this one. And also, uh, this was recommended to me during the debate as well. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to be checking those out. I, I like Christianity. It makes me happy, but I want to know more about it. I want to become like a Christian scholar where I can rationalize it and praise God and preach the Lord to anybody. Like I could see myself becoming like a, a white Farrakhan, like a white Christian Farrakhan mixed in with a little bit of Bill Walton. You know what I mean? Because I just want to wear a fresh suit. And what I, because I was raised Catholic, I'd like to bring in some performance art to church i feel like us white folks are missing that you know what i mean well actually liturgy is a performance and i mean I, i'm familiar with roman catholicism i was roman catholic as well for a long time before i went into orthodoxy but uh you know you ha really have a degrading of the aesthetic and the presentation of worship in the west especially in roman catholicism after vatican ii in the 60s so that turned into like a guitar hippie you know priest with a with a with a Pink Floyd shirt, basically, in a lot of Roman Catholic churches. Um, Orthodoxy is very, very serious about the liturgy. So it's very high church. It's very smells and bells. Um, you know, the iconography is everywhere. It's very, it has a lot of mystery. Um, and I found all that appealing. Uh, but it's also not set against reason. It's also very, um, has a very high place for the for human reason. If you read the, the early church fathers, St. John of Damascus, St. Uh, Maximus Confessor, they're very very, they're very notable apologists and scholars of their time. So, uh, so there's something I think definitely worth at least checking out in orthodoxy. That's pretty cool. So back to the symbolism. One symbol we always see these stars doing is the one eye thing. Yeah. Why the hell are, are they like required to do that? I mean, is it in their contracts that they all do it at some point during some photo shoot? Because it's kind of ridiculous that they all do it. Like, that is something I never do. I've never done that when posing for a photo. Like, not once. Uh, what's with that? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think that really 
there's multiple possibilities. So sometimes people are doing it just for marketing reasons, because with the popularity of that kind of stuff and in the meme world on the internet, it gets regurgitated. So it, it's become a talking point. So you want to do that to make the image controversial. And actually some of these big photographers are pretty notorious and have been involved in some scandalous stuff and probably are, are involved in some occultic activities as well. So that's another aspect to it. But this, the idea of that symbol itself, you have kind of two ways of looking at the right eye or the left eye. You have the right-hand path, the left-hand path. So one obviously is about order, the right, you know, right wing. And, and this is in the occult realm. And then you have the left-hand path of degeneracy, debauchery, rebellion, anarchy, uh, uh, the dark path, right? So that sometimes might uh, play into which eye is being signified, but not always. I mean, so it's, I think generally it's just a, a, it really is a reference to the idea of uh, Freemasonry, the eye above the pyramid, um, the all-seeing eye, which is just a kind of satanic inversion of what we see in the Bible in Christian theology. Uh, certainly, I understand that Masons think that, oh, no, it doesn't mean that. It's just uh, enlightenment. It's just, uh, it's just the idea of uh, Lucifer as a, a enlightener of, 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 human, of humanity. Uh, but I really think that it, if you understand Christian theology, it's not that, because the God that's presented is, I mean, Lucifer in the Bible is not an enlightener. He's, he is Lucifer. <laughs> he, is a, he is a demon. Uh, in Ezekiel 28, he's fallen. Uh, in Isaiah 14, he's fallen. So, um so that's what it is. It is a reference. And that's why we see not just the CIA and intelligence agencies involved in Hollywood and the arts all the time, like flip sides of a coin, but also Freemasonry. Freemasonry is everywhere in, in Hollywood. It's everywhere in, um, in the arts, unfortunately. And even in music, you know, the same stuff goes for uh, the music industry. Um, and that's why you see so many musicians' videos having all the same symbols and imagery. Yeah. It became a trend and it got whack. Speaking mm -hmm. of musicians, one musician I want to ask you about is Beyonce, because to me, she's kind of like the priestess of propaganda. Yeah. Essentially, the more indoctrinated somebody is, the more they like Beyonce. I wrote an article on returnofkings.com for reasons not to date a girl who likes Beyonce. Also on my website, guerrillaradio.tv, because it's a direct correlation. I like, okay. you see these really weird, like gay guys that are like, Ooh, yeah, they love Beyonce there's like a direct correlation in like uh it's it's wild what's your take on that yeah actually my girlfriend fiance she has a book um that she wrote hollywood mind control her name's jamie hanshaw and oh, in her true. book she has a whole big section on beyonce and i thought i knew a lot about this stuff yeah. and i read her book and dude she blew my mind about the beyonce stuff which it goes even way deeper than either of us thought yeah she and she actually knows beyonce knows how this all works <coughs> excuse me there's a church of Bay. Did you know that? Yeah, I imagine it's all gay black guys grinding probably, on each other. Probably, probably, Pretty but, satanic. Uh, but yeah, and and so whoever is involved in her team, you know, obviously it's not just her; it's a whole uh, production team. Yeah. That, but but I mean, they do consciously put imagery into her performances. Like she did a whole uh, Metropolis uh, performance where she was the sort of the satanic. Um, uh, transhumanist android from the movie Metropolis, which is a famous uh, early, you know, German expressionist film by Franz Louis, one of the most famous movies of all time. And it'll it'll be in my uh, second book, by the way. But uh, in Metropolis, it's this this transhumanist theme from you know 100 years ago in a movie, uh, predicting the rise of sex bots, predicting automation of everything, and you see under a giant inverted 
pentagram, the creation of uh, the Android, which a hundred years ago, that's pretty damn crazy. And so Beyonce, uh, you know, consciously does concerts referencing this. Uh, you know, I think that's pretty, it's worth, it's worth looking at. I don't care about Beyonce. I'm not a Beyonce fan, but I'm saying that level of, of reference is curious yeah and, and warrants attention i'd say i'm not a beyonce fan but i'm kind of a destiny's child fan they had a, a few good songs for sure uh can you keep up that, that was a hot song for sure no doubt but you let's back up a little bit your girlfriend has a full book on beyonce sold I'm buying it want to well, have her on the show is that how you guys met i think i got it yeah i gotta i gotta have it i'm gonna buy it sold because i i mean i wrote an article on beyonce it's wild. Yeah, Actually, I wrote book, two. Her book is Hollywood Mind Control. Okay, sold. Boom. And uh, she deals with more with musicians. Like my most of my, you know, my books, movies, and then her stuff is mainly musicians, but really good stuff. Um, I helped write some of this book too. So, yeah, she's got like a chapter on Britney and a whole chapter on Queen B, <laughs> Queen Bay. Wow. Queen uh, and it's really good, man. Yeah, she's she's good at what she does. But uh, yeah, that's how we met. That's how we met. So speaking of musicians, something that was really strange to me: Chris Cornell, Chester Benningfield, Bennington. What was it? Is it Chester Bennington or Benning Bennington? Right, Lincoln Park guy, audio slave guy, killed themselves. It seems to happen quite a bit: overdoses, untimely deaths. These guys die so often that it's almost like like recently with uh, that little peep guy, he was taking a lot of drugs, so it made sense for him to OD. But some of these other guys, do you think there's something strange going on with that? Absolutely. Um, one of the books that's really close to my book uh, that everybody that Amazon actually pairs this book with my book to buy the two together um, is Dave McGowan's book, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. Everybody should read Weird Scenes as well as my book, and you would totally have it all figured out, and Jamie's. Um, because what Dave proposes is the history of not just Hollywood, but also the 60s countercultural movement that it was essentially engineered. Not everything, not everybody, but that there are so many bizarre connections behind the families and the people involved that it's very it's unbelievable to think that it wasn't like Jim Morrison's dad was, a, was this high ranking Admiral who was involved in the Gulf of Tonkin. Most people don't know that, but Holy shit. Yeah, Jim Morrison's dad is this like high level Navy false flag dude. Like, um, but, but then he gets into the 27 club, how many people have died at the age of 27 in the music industry. Uh, my publisher trying to also put out a really good book recently called drugs, a weapon against us. And I don't agree with everything that, that John Potash uh, believes politically, but he makes some really good arguments, dude, about the rappers. And I mean, I don't have a settled case on, you know, Tupac or Big Ear and that stuff, but I just kind of held, held out there. I don't know. I don't know. But he makes some, a pretty good case that, that even some of the rappers, uh, Kurt Cobain, we have a guy that we write with at 21 Wire, uh, Sean Helton. He's like the mastermind of the whole Kurt Cobain stuff. And uh, he and I have done some good interviews. So I think, I think, yes, I think what basically to boil it down to this death issue is take Elvis. So Colonel Tom is his handler, right? This is a dude that he knew from the military, Major Tom, something like that. 
and he's the one that introduced Elvis to drugs and got Elvis hooked on pills and shit, right? Yeah. So that's the way that the handlers control the musicians. And after I read Potash's book, I was skeptical on that. I was like, no, nah, he, he convinced me of that. I think that is true. There's something to that. Uh, and I think at times a musician dead can be worth more than one living because I think, he becomes a legend. Yeah. So absolutely. You're and sometimes abs- it's ritual crime. You're absolutely right about that, dude. Star killing is real because let's say I'm uh, somebody's manager. I have incentive, okay? Yeah. Because the right. if I own a percentage of their music, right, it's going to sell more once they're dead. I actually wrote a book about this myself. It's called Barter 7, The Conspiracy to Assassinate Little Wayne. I took it off the shelf now because I'm, I'm working uh, to make it way, 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 way better. But basically what happened was uh, in April of 2015, Little Wayne's tour bus was shot at. Okay, the man who shot at Lil Wayne's tour bus is a man named Jimmy Winfrey. Jimmy Winfrey is like a close associate, or he was a close associate of baby, you know, Brian Birdman, baby Williams, yeah, Lil Wayne's surrogate father, right? So you can see this guy uh, in pictures with Birdman, in pictures with Young Thug, who was a rival at the time. Tons and tons of pictures. They're always hanging out. Jimmy Winfrey shot at Lil Wayne's tour bus and is currently in jail. And during this time, Lil Wayne and Baby were having a $50 million dispute, which they're still having. $50 million on the line, plus royalties. Yeah, maybe Birdman does some have some incentive. And it's still going on. The Carter Five, uh, which was, you know, the Carter is Lil Wayne's signature series. The Carter Five is yet to come out because they've been wrapped up into this bullshit. But yeah, there's definitely some real incentive evolved with Star Killing. You mentioned Kurt Cobain. Courtney had incentive. To see mm-hmm. things happen a certain way. What's your take on that? The question is, who killed Curtis Blow? No, I'm joking. Uh, um, I think, what if I did the whole interview, the rest of this interview, in the Curtis Blow flow? Would you? Would that bug you? Could you pull it off? If you could pull it off, I'm down. No, I'm not going to do that. I'd be oh. dumb as fuck, dude. Everybody would be like, get this fucking retard off your show. Um, I don't know about... Uh, so there's an interview that we did about Kurt Cobain and actually Sean interviews uh, the detective involved in the case. And he makes this, that's the strongest case I've heard. Um, I don't know, it's in the archives of Jay's analysis. Some people, if, if you're interested in that, you can dig it up, but yeah, I think you're right. I think she had the motive. I think even Francis has hinted at that. Francis Bean Cobain. Wow. Um, I'm not positive of that, but I, I think that was part of the argumentation. Um, there's a lot of questions about the crime scene itself. You know, th- this is an area that I'm not really fluent in when, you know, when it comes to Tupac or, or Cobain or that kind of stuff. Um, you know, my area is mainly movies, but I would not be surprised, dude. That's the thing is that 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when I started looking at Hollywood intelligence agencies, connections, that kind of stuff, even then it seemed weird and crazy. But now nothing would surprise me because I've spent 10 years on it. And I mean, it's, it's a never ending rabbit hole. So, and most of the time, most of the time stuff ends up being true. Yeah. (laughs) The the rumors. One thing that really surprised me in your book, Marilyn Monroe department of defense. What the fuck? Yeah. This really came to the fore with uh, Dave McGowan's research into Laurel Canyon. And I went and checked this out myself. So it's true. If you go to L.A. and you drive up this right before the book came out, I took a trip to L.A. and did some photo shoots and promo stuff. And I went up to Mulholland Drive, a.k.a. David Lynch movie. And then you drive up Wonderland Avenue up into the hills 
and now it's Jared Leto's house. But and you can see it from the road, like there's a fence, but you can't obviously can't go in there. But you can see the remnants of the Air Force base that was there. And so he literally lives in an old Air Force base called uh, Laurel Canyon Studios. And this was an Air Force base where they filmed movies. And it was all the top producers, all the top Hollywood people at the time, uh, like Walt Disney, Marilyn Monroe, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> all these these top people had access to Laurel Canyon. Thousands of movies were filmed. Most of them we haven't even seen, which is weird. Like, Whoa. what were they doing? What, was it like blackmail porn? So who knows? We don't know what they're doing. But uh, some of the stuff is leaked. Uh, you can find videos on YouTube, which I did. Uh, somebody posted these about six months ago. Uh, and I think Sean Stone just put him in the documentary with uh, that he did with me and him and Oliver Stone, where we're talking about Hollywood, D.C. You, you'll see clips of Laurel, Laurel Canyon and the old archive footage. So I don't know who thanks to whoever dug that stuff up, but you actually do see. So it vindicated Dave's research, basically, that they're all all the top Hollywood people at that time were working directly in tandem with the military, the, the Air Force, the Pentagon, under the auspices, oh, it's the Cold War, you know, all this stuff. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the classic examples that nobody knew about until a few years ago. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, whoa. There's so much mind-blowing stuff in the book. One of my favorite parts is the little profiles you do on all these wild people. Like, you yeah. know, these people are really shaping the collective consciousness right. uh, of our society. It, it really is a, a small group of men that uh, really pushed the narrative. Got to ask you about Kanye. Kanye. I has... just saw today that Kanye was saying threats, like he's going to establish, he's going to red pill the black people or something like that. He's basically doing it, or he's, he's at least trying to. My theory is once we unite Kanye West, Tom Brady, and Donald Trump, that's like clearly the good guys, okay? I don't care who you are, your education level, your reading level, your race, your ethnicity. If you saw Tom Brady, Kanye West, and Donald Trump, good guys. That's Those like are the, the fucking new, the good new guys. alt-light trinity. <laughs> right? no, I'm joking. I'm no, joking. No. It's, well, we're outright on this show. We're uh, officially a part of the outright. We read books. We listen to podcasts. Well, actually, we don't do really podcasts. We mainly do Chadcasts. But the outright is about that. We're about a curiosity. Yeah. And trying to thrive in this crazy environment of clown world, essentially. <laughs> but Kanye's been killing it. Kanye went on a rant at that concert. Did you see any of that? And within that rant, he dropped gems. He was talking really? about Google censorship. He was talking oh, wait, about wait, wait. Facebook yeah, yeah. censorship. I did see that when he was when he was doing that live show. And yeah. then the next day he's like right. dehydrated and like they right. take him to a fucking mental hospital. I was so I was freaking out because he was dropping ra massive red pills. And then they had to essentially tell him to shut the fuck up. Everybody tried to get him to shut the fuck up. And he basically went away for like a little bit and then right. emerged. Well, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, some of these rehab institutions, I'm not saying that one specifically, I don't know, but uh, Dave McGowan posed this thesis other people have, and it does seem to bear out that when some of these big stars have their breakdowns, it seems like they go to certain ones for a reason, uh, and that could be because the mental health establishment, the rehab establishment, is connected into the broader establishment. And a big part of my book is MKUltra. Uh, I've read a lot on MKUltra, all the mainline books that are available. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not saying like.
there is absolutely a connection between Hollywood and MKUltra. Um, that'll be a big portion of the second part of my book. But for those that don't know, just simply compacting this news nugget down, MKUltra was not a an assassination program to create assassins. It was mainly a bunch of uh, universities, mental health facilities, studying human psychology and manipulation. It's basically just mass social engineering and the application of that to not just pop culture, but also advertising. So, you know, this is why Bernays is involved in working at the Department of Defense. He renames it from the Department of War to the Department of Defense. Wow. Right. It's Bernays that said Hollywood is the greatest engine of propaganda the world's ever seen. So um, there's a direct connection between them. I'm not saying all mental health facilities are going to mind control you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it could be that uh, when these stars have supposed breakdowns, you know, it could be because they're going to say the wrong thing. You keep in mind, they're a product, you know, from the vantage point of their handlers and their controllers, they're a product that's used to drive culture. They're culture drivers, change agents, even if they don't recognize it. And so they can't break from the script, uh, or else that could be damaging to, to the programming, so to speak. Um, and you know, a long time ago, 10 years ago, I would have thought that's now nah, that's too conspiratorial. That's too crazy. But dude, I've just been covering lately, John C. Lilly, who's one of the MKUltra doctors, he, re- he wrote a book, Programming and Metaprogramming the Human Biocomputer, uh, where he talks about his experiments in mind wiping children and reprogramming them. So he openly writes books about it. Uh, so it is actually apparently possible to do. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a lot of these big pop stars aren't uh, sort of fitted for these roles. I'm not oversimplifying it. I'm not saying that they don't have talents or they don't, but, but I'm saying it's when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, you know what I mean? And driving the culture. Why do you think they all have the same symbology? If, if what I'm saying is false, it's not just cult, pop culture memes. It's because they're part of the same establishment. They're all part of the same cult. Probably. Absolutely wild. You know, I mean, a lot of them openly tout Crowley anyway. They're like, wear Crowley shirts. You know what I mean? Like Jay-Z. Yeah. He has that shirt, uh, that famous picture of him in that shirt. Do what thou wilt. Right. Jonas Brothers wear Crowley shirts. So, yeah. That's fucked up. Like a pop band is wearing a Satanist gear. And this guy, the guy, uh, Aleister Crowley, right? He he's in this book a lot. Like he had crazy influence. He was in all sorts of different circles. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't know that he was a MI5 asset, which is British intelligence. And um, I interviewed kind of the scholar on that, Dr. Richard Spence, who also has his books through uh, my publisher, Trine Day. Uh, he's got two books, one on Crowley that are really good, and then another one. On, oh, he's got a bunch, but the one on Crowley's good, Secret Agent 666. We did an interview where he just like blew me away with all these espionage, likely espionage missions that, that Crowley was doing. And the 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 esoteric satanic stuff so uh i don't a lot of people say oh he was just a spy oh it was it was all cover i think it's both i mean you could be you could be both you could be a complete degenerate satanist and you know involved in spying for british intelligence i mean he he was a drug addict he needed money so why wouldn't he spy for money so yeah i mean you're talking about really disgusting degenerate stuff but that's what the spy world is is it's not james bond it's blackmail it's uh if you were familiar with uh, dc madam or the confessions of a uh a dc madam by henry vinson those are books by trying as well i'm not just trying to promote <laughs> the publisher but they just come to mind i mean those are books about blackmail uh and that's a big part of espionage yeah okay we got a super chat from loco j ask j about nxivm cult scandal 
indictments today. I don't know much about this. Yeah, I did a, this is a great example. Another one. I mean, see, people think this might sound crazy. And then I've been talking about it for 10 years. And then what's in the news the last three months is the uh, Allison Mack from um, uh, Smallville, right? Smallville. Yeah. So she's involved in this uh, sex cult recruiting people to be in this chicks to be in this sex cult for the producer i think if I it's so it. it's so fucking ridiculous man like these people are always getting busted in their fucking sex cults why don't you get a job get a fucking normal job you know what i mean do something other like dude they just are so perverted they just can't stop with these goddamn sex cults like sorry so the, the point of sex is to reproduce children you freaks you know what the i mean producers, the producers literally like lex luther you know that's the weird part it's like he's the villain yeah. Uh, recruiting all these chicks and then and branding them with a fucking branding iron dude that was part Jesus of christ the, of the ritual but um but yeah that was probably uh, a blackmail operation too i mean i'm not saying it didn't involve sex obviously it did but uh you know that kind of a, of a hollywood level thing with the sex call i'm sure there was money laundering and blackmail involved as well but that'll all come out but yeah i, I did actually when that broke uh, months ago actually i did a whole video report on that as well just another uh, uh, example of you know backing up this this theory that that my book is uh, proposing. I think further proving it. What do you think about boomers, Jay? Boomers uh, are 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 becoming a meme because they deserve to become a meme. So uh -oh. that's actually I wore my my boomer outfit to celebrate uh -oh. boomer memes. And guess what? I'm gonna make a claim right here, real quick. Okay. I started. The fucking boomer meme, dude. Oh, well, I got something that's going to even one-up your claim, Jay. What's that? Because we were talking a little bit earlier. Seems you want to debate. I know a boomer who wants uh -oh. to debate. His name is Jim Goad. And he Bring went on up. a podcast with Nick Fuentes about the motherfucking boomer question. Okay? Oh, and he came on this show and talked about the boomer question because he's pissed. He doesn't want everybody to be blamed because he is a boomer he doesn't want everybody to be blamed because of the circumstances of a generation and i buy his argument a little bit and i think you just challenged him to a debate i wouldn't want to debate jim goat i wouldn't want to debate jay dyer you know i wouldn't want to debate either one of you motherfuckers that's not me i'm the host of america's number one chatcast and there's no Wait, I debate either of you guys, but I think you guys might have to de debate the, the definitive debate on the boomer question. When we do these debates, it's a fucking pay-per-view event. When we did the Sticks for Fuentes debate, it no. was a pay-per-view pay event with a trailer. So correct me if I'm wrong. Did you just challenge Jim Go to a debate on the boomer question? I think you asked me to challenge him but okay i'll do a debate on that i, I haven't done i've done serious debates yeah. but this one sounds more fun i mean yeah it'll I mean, be fun and i'm familiar with jim i've seen two interviews um so yeah i think that would be a lot of fun in fact it, yeah it's my my essay that went viral about 10 years ago uh united skanks of america and i have another uh boomer post from about eight years ago uh that uh, i think i can claim credit for the for the boomer meme but anyway um yeah, I think I would I would have a fun debate with uh, Mr. Goat on that topic. All right, that sounds excellent because we're looking for a new event. Uh, wild, absolutely wild. The thing with boomers, we were talking a little bit before. They're always watching TV. It's TV, alcohol, yeah. and sugar. Um, the thing is, they I buy into the whole organic food thing just because there's so many GMOs and you know 
shit going on with the food. The boomers right. don't really get that because they never had to worry about it. You know what I mean? Um, right. But we kind of need our boomers. I mean, Trump's a boomer. He's doing what he can. It, it is kind of silly to write off an entire generation. Um, the millennials, I'm a millennial. We're no better. The boomer millennial tag team of destruction has been I don't devastating. Think, I don't think Trump is technically a boomer, right? I think he's too old. Really? Too old? I think he's just on the border. Okay. Uh, anyway, well, Roseanne's coming back. That's big for the boomers. He's making the boomers happy. Not a boomer. But Huge. I'm. Uh, I disagree with Goat on the boomer question on the BQ. Wow. I mean, you. he's going to debate you too, and definitely win. <laughs> you know. I think we the, have to. We have to send Jim Go my song, my boomer song. And, you wrote uh, a boomer song about boomers. Yeah, well, I didn't, I just sang over some really goofy shit. It's it's called uh, it, I just I just tweeted it. Oh, okay. We'll check it out for sure. Uh, one question I had to ask you because a lot of this book is uh, you do an, a lot of analysis on the alien movies and sort of the the meanings behind the meanings of a lot of alien movies that we have. You know the Blink One Eighty Two guy. What's his name? Yeah, Mark? Tom DeLonge. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Tom. You know he's the Blink One Eighty Two guy, like one of three, right? And he's been coming out with a lot of alien stuff. Do you think he's a front? I mean, I listened to his Joe Rogan interview that everybody was talking about. And it was like, he's saying all oh, these, these high level Pentagon dudes called me and they chose me to be the representative. And I'm like, dude, don't you realize that the number one thing that people from the government intelligence agencies do is lie. That's their number one job requirement is lie convincingly. So I, I detected absolutely no skepticism from him in this uh, claims from these Pentagon dudes. So no, I immediately dismiss that. I spend about 80 pages on Spielberg and alien movies, uh, to kind of debunk it. I do hold out the possibility that there might be spiritual forces, uh, you know, angelic type stuff as relating to this phenomenon. But for the most part, uh, no, I don't believe in aliens. I, I'm a, I have a lot of interviews sort of debunking the whole alien mythology as a Pentagon-created uh, psyop. That's my take on aliens. I flesh that out uh, in, in my H.G. Wells and Spielberg chapters. Um, but, you know, I'm always open to uh, being convinced of something otherwise or debating something like that. But no, I don't believe in aliens. I do in the sense that let's say a microorganism is on a meteor and that meteor c crashes into Earth. That microorganism, is that not an alien? Invasion of the body snatchers. What's that? Well, that's the plot of invasion of the body snatchers. Well, I mean, yeah, you could you can loosen the definition of the word, you know, to encompass all kinds of things. But I mean, I'm speaking specifically of like an extra biological entity or a, or a uh, some sort of foreign to earth entity with, you know, the ability to manifest, you know, or something like that. I don't believe in the EBEs or uh, stuff like that. But I do think uh, there are spiritual forces and things like that, demons. So just depending on what we mean by the words. I believe in spiritual forces uh, in terms of energy and demons or angels manifest in that, in that space. That's kind of what I believe. Mm -hmm. One thing I really wanted to ask you about was L. Ron Hubbard, mm -hmm. the father of Scientology, also a science fiction writer, also a borderline writer for South Park. The way they, the way they uh, describe what the religion believes. Yeah. Tell me about well, that, this man. Is, this is another great tie-in between cults and Hollywood. So, you know, my book doesn't just deal with intelligence agencies in Hollywood. It's sex, cults, and symbols in film. So I do, I do deal with uh, several cults come up in the book. Um, 
a lot of sex cults, obviously, but, but, you know, Hubbard is a great example of somebody who went through Crowley's degrees of uh, rituals. And then he starts his own cult. And this is interesting because this is what you tend to see the people who follow Crowley, they tend to eventually over time start their own cult, which red flag there, maybe there's a pattern to look at, but uh, uh, you know, Hubbard comes out of that and does Scientology. It's, it's debated what exactly his level was in the naval sphere of things. Was he intelligence or was he just a low level, uh, you know, petty officer or something like that? I'm not exactly sure what the, the real status of Hubbard is, but what's undisputed is that, you know, he used a lot of the what he learned and, and what he knew from the Navy and from the cult sphere uh, to create his own religion. So how it got exactly wrapped up into Hollywood is covered very well in the uh, documentary Going Clear, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen. They really started reaching out, I think, in the 70s to people like John Travolta and, you know, then sort of bringing in other Hollywood celebs just as kind of marketing. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to be learned there from connections between intelligence agencies and cults in Hollywood. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you could do a whole, I've done show, we've done interviews on Hubbard. I've, I've done a couple on uh, Scientology people could check out too, but, but yeah, great example. All right. I got a few more questions as we're winding down. Jay, unbelievable. Alexander Korda on page 301 of your book. So this man, Alexander Korda, was involved in getting the United States to participate in World War II through Hollywood propaganda, neutralizing the America First movement. Yep. Now, this was uh, way back in World War II, you know, late 1930s, 1940s. Uh, but it's reminiscent of today just because of the uh, America first phrase. And he worked against that in order to get the United States in the war. Can you tell us a little bit about this man, Alexander Korda? Cause I, I saw that. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. I think he's one of the, one of the first, if I recall, uh, directors to be knighted by the queen. So he becomes Sir Alexander Korda. And there's this group of directors, the Korda circle, uh, and other actors as well. And they're, and they're basically British intelligence agents, directly involved in acting and what they do is sort of insert themselves into the american sphere they come over they meet with disney there's famous pictures of uh, i think it's uh, noel coward or uh, roald dahl uh, the famous children's author roald dahl is one of these guys ian fleming's one of these guys and they start hanging out and schmoozing with uh claire booth loose henry Bo uh, henry loose's wife skull and bone cia time magazine uh, they start uh, schmoozing with Walt Disney. They start hanging out with uh, Wild Bill Donovan, who's kind of the co-founder of the OSS. They help him set up the OSS. People don't don't know that Ian Fleming is who set up the CIA, roughly speaking. Whoa. It was Ian Fleming, uh, uh, William Stevenson, uh, Intrepid, codename Intrepid, who was a Canadian intelligence guy working for the British. And this circle of people... And they didn't just want to set up uh, an OSS and then later a CIA for the purpose of giving America a great intelligence network. They wanted it to be there to influence opinion. And since at that time it was unpopular for America, there was kind of the, still the, you know, the, the non-interventionist foreign policy still dominated. What they did was through film and Hollywood and schmoozing influence the culture uh, to participate in World War II. And they were successful. And it was through screwing, through movies, blackmail, uh, and it's a very real story. There's a whole book on this called uh, the, the Irregulars, a famous uh, best-selling book on that. 
Jay, how many books have you read? I've read, uh, I think, 90 now. Not including books you had to read in school, I've read 90 books. But I think you've read 1,000. Uh, at least because my mom was a, uh, a copy editor and then an editor uh, for a pretty big publisher and then was a librarian. So I grew up in a sort of bibliophile family. So I don't even I don't even know how many. A lot. Yeah, it seems that but way. I, can I say too, and I'm not trying to be pretentious, but um, I do need to promote the show as well so that there is a TV show based on the book and it is a full production TV show, one whole season, 19 episodes at Gaia TV. It is subscription-based. It's kind of like Netflix, but uh, I'm very proud of that. It was a lot of work. Um, I think I wrote another 150 pages of script for that TV show. Uh, it took, you know, a long time to film it. Um, and actually, I mean, I like the book. I'm very proud of the book. And, but the TV show, I think, is is for for modern day audiences who don't do a lot of reading. Go watch my TV. If you're not going to read my 363 page book, go go watch the TV show because it's the book in TV format. And it's me and Jay Widener, a guy who's known for uh, a couple famous Kubert documentaries, a really sharp guy, encyclopedic knowledge. And it's he and I, Siskel, Siskel and Ebert style reviewing films from an esoteric hollywood perspective that sounds fucking sweet when is it coming out or is it already oh available? it's out now it's like a it, it's it's you just go to go to hollywood decoded and i mean it's on it's on xfinity it's on cable it's on uh it's on all the streaming sites you can get it on satellite all kinds of shit uh, one of the things you mentioned in the book that I fucking loved was the uh, the fact that you love physical books because I love physical books. Absolutely. Versus the digital books. I think that no, is I bullshit. Do I don't do it either. I don't fuck with it at all. Dude, at all. Richard Grove had a great quote about that a long time ago. And he said that they didn't name it Kindle by accident. Whoa. And that's because it's the, and he's not joking. He's like, it is Fort Fahrenheit 451. It's to fucking burn the books so that there's not a record of, what was written in the past because they can alter anything digital or delete it yeah absolutely i recall back uh when i was in school there was this uh, academy called cushing academy and what they did was they got rid of their library and it's all a digital library now so i'm like but like i was talking with my english uh teacher at the time he's like this is bullshit i'm like yeah dude this right. is bullshit that school sucks and then we beat their asses in football this is america's yeah. number one chad cast with my man jay dyer absolutely killing it on jaysanalysis.com the book is fucking fantastic it's been awesome having you jay jay versus jim are you fucking kidding me on the it. boomer question i mean we're gonna have to we're gonna when we do it when we do something like this we hype it up for like a month and typically yeah. there is a hollywood movie quality trailer on the boomer question and this Dude, is, i saw i saw the nick sticks trailer that was that was pretty sweet it was fucking awesome our man johnny medlar he's very 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 talented so we would do something like that for yeah. jay versus jim 2018 the boomer question so for those of you watching you got the scoop there's about 46 people live and jay thank you so much for coming on i mean i remember seeing you in interviews in blood sports i'm like that guy's fucking interesting look at all those books uh this is my type of guy. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a lot of fun chatting. Um, one thing I would say is, if you do want the book, um, and it's got probably I think now 130 five star reviews uh, in the last year that it's been out, so wow. that's good reads. Amazon, um, 95 percent five star reviews. So if you would, uh, if you do want to get the book, please get it from my website because Amazon undercuts authors. So get oh, it from wow. Jay's Analysis, and you get a signed copy, and you won't be disappointed. How do they undercut authors? 
Tell me a little bit, just just percentage. Well, it depends on. I traditionally published, um, but even if you traditionally publish, because publishing has kind of taken a big hit uh, over the last several years. Even if you traditionally publish and you're not freaking Stephen King, you still have to do all your own marketing. And I mean, my publisher does some marketing, but I mean, I can market more through my website than than they can. So you have to do your own marketing, and that means that the most of the, maybe not most, maybe half of the sales are going to be through the traditional marketing that he does and then the marketing that i do so anytime people buy on amazon uh i might make a dollar from that if you but when people buy it from me i make a lot better very cool jay thank you for being here and we'll talk to you again very soon all right thank you man it was a a blast all right talk to you soon so this has been Another installment of America's number one Chadcast. This is the best show on the internet. Check out some of our other interviews and check out every single episode. We're here. We're live Sundays at seven, every Sunday at seven. Absolutely awesome. See you guys again soon.